everybody, and welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friends, Charles. Yes, we say the plural friends again today because we have the pleasure of being joined by a new author, Sara El Arifi. She has her book, The Final Strife, is coming out in just a few short weeks, uh, June 23rd. Actually, that's that's even sooner than I thought. It's, it's, <laughs> next, it's the 18th at the time week. of this recording. Oh my gosh, <laughs> next week. So we're super happy to, to have her on. Um, you know, We've been watching the conversation around this book just build and build and build over the past couple months. And uh, we're super thrilled to have you on the show today. Sara, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, when you were like, oh, it's a few weeks away, I was like, have I got, have I got a few weeks? Oh, and the relief I felt. And no, no, guys. You know, not look that easy. It's, it's literally <laughs> Tuesday, it's out in, in the US and Thursday in the UK. So we're wow. talking days, days. Oh my gosh. I, I wonder when this episode will come out. Maybe we'll bring it out like right on the day it comes out. But everyone needs to know at the time of this recording, we are. The, the anticipation is real, there's excitement in the air. We've seen a lot of, of chatter on social media and it, it's been really fun just to be a part of it. Dylan and I were able to read through the book. Uh, Harper Voyager was able to send us some copies, which we're very appreciative of. And you know, we're, we're super impressed by this debut and we have so many questions. We just can't wait to get into it. <laughs> oh same I've got questions for myself why did I do this to myself I'm so scared about next week <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. we think it's gonna be great I mean with like Charles said we're so lucky to be able to get arcs of the final strife and we absolutely loved it so we're pumped to just be a part of uh, helping spread the word about this awesome book and uh, yeah we think it's gonna be awesome we're excited for Tuesday and Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And it's, it seems like this is, how, how does it feel to have this first book come out? I, I know you're a little bit about your background that this book came to be very quickly. It, it, it's been kind of a whirlwind. You mind describing the process to us of, of how this book came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I spent... <laughs> like 12 years rewrite actually I think it's about 14 years rewriting and rewriting and writing again the oh. same terrible terrible mm. book <laughs> and I'm telling you it was bad like now I have hindsight I'm like oh gosh why did you do that to yourself um <laughs> and because I was just convinced like I I always wanted to be a writer since literally the moment I could write um actually even before that because I was directing like my sister and brother around and be like we're going to make <laughs> a film out of this and then we're going to write it down and make it a book and anyway I've always wanted to be a writer and um I I actually quit my job uh 12 years ago I was working in an agency and I quit my job and I was like look you're gonna you just have to do it you need the fear you need the fear of no job and you need to become a writer mm. um and that lasted six weeks before I realized I need to eat um so I went back into went back into marketing um and was back in my career and that just took off and um I was still writing and I was still rewriting the same book uh and then about well I say about it was October no November 2019 and I was like you've got to put this to bed you've got to put this book to bed and I thought you know what yeah and also the I will say about this novel was that the main character was a white middle class boy um which is 
not me mm-hmm. in any way. And um, I, I had been, I'd been trying to replicate everything I'd seen on the most commercial, in the most commercial books and in the most um, successful adult fantasy. I was like, well, you've got to have a white man as the main character because that's the only way I'd be successful. And that was honestly how I didn't realize it at the time, but that's what I thought. So flash forward a few years and I thought, okay, you've got to write this new book and you've got to send her something, someone that looks like you. And that was like so magical to me. I was like, this is incredible. And the book just came to be in four months. Four <laughs> very, months. Yeah, four months, very hectic months. Um, it's also a wow. chunky book. Uh, mm-hmm. It is 600 pages. It wasn't 600 pages back then. It was uh, half of that no less than that uh, my first draft was quite short for an adult fantasy um but yeah four months and it it literally it felt right it just it was also a huge discovery for me I was um I created a queer normative world that was something that I was coming to terms with myself I was discovering how to um show kind of past um, kind of heritage trauma through um representing mm. themes of colonization through the novel um it was an I was finding my identity in writing this novel and in some ways it was a quick and very late process um but it was uh amazing to to kind of get to yeah so four months wrote the book uh having tried to get an agent for 14 years by this point I didn't really think that I would um I uh I was like do you know what for jokes let's just send it to the biggest agent in Europe just for jokes just for jokes (laughs) yeah right (laughs) Um, she gets 750 around 750 um submissions a week so you know it was I was like this is just a joke this was like just just to make myself do something with this book um and she came back to me in an hour and said I want the full manuscript and then the next day the representation and then (laughs) we edited over that weekend um the book grew by another 10,000 words over that weekend. I did pull a sickie. I'm really sorry, my ex-boss. Yes, that day I was <laughs> writing. Um, and uh, then, yeah, literally 10 days later, we had sold it in a preempt, which is when someone comes along and says, you know, uh, here's some money, take it off the table. You have a certain time frame. And that was Delray in the US. And then um, three days later, we sold in auction in the UK. So it went from like 14 years to everything happening in 10 days, which was oh wild. Gosh. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, seriously. And I mean, such an interesting story because you do hear about these sort of quote unquote overnight successes. And yeah. it'd be easy to try to slot your experience with the final strife into that but at the same time the the overnight success was built over the course of over a decade of you yeah. working hard mastering your craft and then uh, it shows because I'm sure all that experience that you got writing that uh, previous novel and then you know putting away in the trunk yeah. you've got now applied to uh, this novel that just you cranked out and you said four months, four months and then good yeah. enough to get that huge deal in, in it's yeah. like it was a 10 day period right yeah so so lucky and I'm, I'm so aware as well of how lucky I am because it's so rare to have this story but yes there was I always stress I'm like but it was 14 years I was trying yeah. like yeah. um and right. uh but at the same time, there is a lot of luck involved. Like if Juliet, my agent, hadn't opened my email and if something in the subject line hadn't caught her, you know, there's so many, so many uh, stages that where you can literally just fall off the face of the earth. Like there's, mm-hmm. 
if my editor mm. wasn't specifically looking for that type of novel, mm. she would no yeah. way have bidded on, you know, there's just so many aspects, everything had to align. And for me in that moment, it did, which was amazing. And it was actually two years ago, tomorrow, because it was Juneteenth, um, mm. that I sold my mm. book. So that's, wow. yes, yeah, wow. two years ago. There you go. That That's yeah. exciting. And <laughs> I, I can I can see why it would be super attractive to a publisher. It's, it's like you said, like once you started writing about yourself, it, it it just flew off the page. And that to me is one of the most gripping parts about this book is the is the identity of our main character and Shyla, and then also the themes you've woven in, like you've said about heritage and trauma and things like that. I was wondering if since this book is is so close to you and your experience and your identity if you give us more about your background like why fantasy I, I know you were directing your siblings at a young <laughs> age but how did that turn into uh, writing a fantasy novel yeah so um I think fantasy is the home of the homeless um in the sense that those who feel lost and those who seek kind of comfort and belonging um we're drawn to fantasy and um we are the edges of so many you know that's not always case I'm sure the popular mean girls sometimes enjoy fantasy um I was not one of those I was absolutely the one on the fringes of every scenario um I struggled a lot so we so I was raised in the Middle East um in Abu Dhabi um, I'm not from there, but my father had a job out there and um, we lived there for 10 years. Then we moved to a village outside of Sheffield, which is mm. a northern um, city in the UK. And um, the village was very small, but also very big. The school had 2000 people in, uh, 2000 children. And um, I there were, two, there were two black people <laughs> in wow. that entire school. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and one of them was my brother. So, <laughs> so it was uh, very, very white. Um, and I hadn't really, I didn't understand the concept of racism when I moved to the UK, really. I knew that um, I did go to a British school in the UAE and I was aware that I was a bit different because there was a lot of expats, a lot of white expats in the UAE, UAE where we were within that community. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I was aware that I was different, but because expat communities, third culture kind of, worlds are very different moving to Sheffield was something that I was just not pre prepared for um and I remember very early on being called every single name under the sun mm. and not knowing what they meant uh. and actually not knowing what they so someone said the n-word I was like I went to my teacher I was like what is this word I don't know what oh. it is oh and God. um and so that's my naivety in the face of realizing that I was other and then realizing huh this is this is crazy like not everyone has the background that I have my mum is Ghanaian British raised in Ghana my father um Sudanese Sudanese raised in Sudan um very different cultures my mum raised Christian my father raised Muslim mm -hmm. and um you know West African and Arab cultures are very very different and they actually married in secret and one day I will tell their story because it is amazing um mm -hmm. but that meant that we had a huge culture clash which was delightful in the way that we were raised um my mum would take me to church my dad would take me to the mosque and they would be like choose what you want um I did end up choosing neither but you know the the, the <laughs> options were presented to me um 
What a twist. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just chose fantasy worlds, basically. And I was like, I, I just read so much to kind of escape the world, the school life that I had, the the bullying, the, the, the you know, the it was my escape. And I think mm-hmm. the story is so common around fantasy readers that it's just there's no there's no there's no one better than a fantasy reader like it's mm. genuinely my my motto I think we're all so great and we're all so open and mm-hmm. we are the most accepting most accepting mm. kind of community and um yeah I that's 100% why I write fantasy it is it is the community mm. that, that's that's a fantastic story and you know we can relate to that I'm sure we always say that the best things about doing this show have been that we were able to meet and talk to other people in the community that we just didn't have in high school or or, you know amongst our mutual friends it was Dylan and I so being able to be plugged into that community has been by far the best part of doing anything in this in this space and that that story that you just shared is is so interesting. And one of the things I'd love to know is, you know, you've talked about this comfort and this escape. Who were some of your influences, maybe when you were younger or uh, today, when yeah, that got absolutely. you into fantasy and into writing? Yeah. So Tamara Pierce was a huge one. Um, mm. Absolute absolute triumph of books that uh, she writes, and Ursula Le Guin. Yeah. Um, my my battered oh. Earth Sea quartet is just <laughs> somewhere around here, actually. Even um, you know YA classics like Trudy Canavan. I'm just looking around. There's so there's so many, and like and then like Tolkien, the classics sure. as well. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I was re- reading a lot of adult fantasy. Um, you know, Peter V. Brett, Patrick Rothfuss, the the classics. Mm-hmm. Um, I say the classics, the, the modern classics. Right. Um, yeah, it's been long enough. I think. Yeah, we yeah can, that's true. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Robert Jordan. I, I want to take a shot at Patrick Rothfuss. You know, it has been a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they were they were big inspirations, but because I was I was buying what was in oh, well I was reading what was in my school library and what was in my local library. And those are always the most, most commercial of books. So I didn't hear about any black fantasy authors because mm-hmm. they weren't mm. bought in. They didn't have the platform. Um, they obviously exist. There are so many fantastic, fantastic ones. You know, Rebecca Roanhorse, N.K. Jemison, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and also a lot smaller ones um, who are still magnificent. They're just never given the platform. And so that's what I'm trying to rectify in my reading now is like, okay, how do I find an and you know and amplify those other voices that's that's great Uh, and I think you know one of the ways that you've done that is just within this book one of the main selling points I was talking to Dylan because Dylan is the only person I've known that's read it I was like wow the the way she really explores some of these like and has a conversation around some of these really complex themes of racism both like structural and like cultural and and how you navigate that and also just how you navigate this like two people with very different experiences trying to come together and work together and one of the things for me that like I would love to hear more about is, is how do you even start to have that conversation in a fantasy world when you're like okay here's a book we're going to have racism we're going to have culture clashes we're going to have different heritages how do you how do you approach that in a way that to you 
like what were some were there anything you went, went into knowing that you wanted to do that you wanted to do differently like how did you tackle such a complex hill in fantasy <laughs> yeah oh that's yeah that's really interesting and honestly like I think there's like this romantic view of how I went about writing and yes actually I would say I'm not someone who can plan I do not plot I am like <laughs> chaos when I write like people watch me write and I'll be like I have no idea what's gonna happen next oh my god oh my god oh my oh my god that's it's exciting amazing. and I have no <laughs> idea um which is really fun but uh also very frustrating because I just can't plot so I don't know what's gonna happen next until I write it um but with this book I did approach it going okay what do I want to see what do I not see enough of um mm-hmm. and that was absolutely okay my heritage Every single thing that, and that's where it becomes a little bit self-indulgent, but it, it had to start off that way, was that I was like, I want to see someone who eats plantain one day and monahia the next day. Um, I want to see someone who looks like me, um, who has uh, mental illness, has drug addiction problems. I want to see things that I have experienced, but are not ever represented through mm. eyes like mine. Um, and so that was a definite like okay let's think about that and then let's just write it Um, from a more technical perspective I guess I was thinking about tropes a lot tropes are really important to me and ones that I loved and ones that I wanted to subvert and because I was looking at my bookshelves and going you know I just just want something a little different um, I thought okay let's subvert some of these let's play play around let's have a conversation with the fantasy genre and that's when I was like okay she's the chosen one but she's way too high to actually (laughs) carry out her chosen one duties um and that's when I started kind of having that conversation not just with you know um myself but like the fantasy genre which was really fun actually yeah I mean sounds like it and so interesting you know you brought up uh, Rebecca Roanhorse and uh, N.K. Jemisin and definitely two books uh, where the authors explore these themes of oppression in very deep ways but also you you totally approached it with a unique perspective so I'd, I'd recommend The Final Strife to fans of those two series but at the same time uh, totally different in this this use of blood as a way yeah. like color of blood yeah. as a way to uh, sort of separate this caste system uh extremely interesting and the imagery of it i mean sometimes uh, so I, gross <laughs> gross but actually i don't know it really stuck with me it's it's memorable like i think of uh, those scenes, i think this happens early enough in the book where uh, Charles won't have to edit this out, uh, like where uh, like you get a duster or who's getting, is it stretched? Is that what they uh, call yeah, it? Ripped, ripped, right? ripped apart. Ripped, yeah. ripped. Yeah. Where they're basically getting pulled apart as an execution. And the idea of the blue blood uh, that's like coming out from this is just, I don't know, sticks with you in your mind and it's uh, it's memorable and those kind of things are uh, what you need to drive home a point about something as intense as oppression, yeah. racism, caste systems, all that. Absolutely. And I will say that every single violence in the novel is based on history. Every single thing oh, wow. that I have um, I've depicted on the page has got its roots in history. For example, um, the ghostings are the race with clear blood and... Um, they have 
their hands and tongues um, cut off mm-hmm. at two months old, um, which is horrible. Um, and that's, and you know, I've had a few people be like, that's that's quite brutal. And I was like, yeah, well, King Leopold II did that in the Belgian Congo to estimated around 8 million uh, black people. Wow. So um, that's, that's just, no one knows about that. And it happened during the scramble for Africa. And it's just so, you know, um, it's it's been really an education piece for me kind of going so I, I wrote the novel and then there were elements that I was like I, I'd learned about King Leopold and it's slightly different in the way that he he did it it was hands basically became a currency but um the wardens in the novel ask for all the hands of the ghostings to be smoked and sent for counting and that's what King Leopold II did um which is wild um so yeah so and this is not a historical novel by the way this absolutely not um but I think it is definitely again having this conversation about the past it's it's a it's a kind of truth um that I was seeking in almost retribution of what has been taught to me because I there's so much that I was not told about in schools um so yeah so it was absolutely when I was making this like visceral violent world it was it was has all has its roots in history Wow. That's yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, I'd never heard of that either. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of something that uh, you brought up earlier, this idea of fantasy serving as escapism for a lot of people. And then I'm curious how you try to walk that line while also bringing attention and illuminating some of these atrocities that have happened in you know, an actual history. I mean, I think of like Rebecca Kwong, the way that she does that in yeah. her Poppy War series. And it sounds like, uh, yeah, you're doing the same thing. You're providing this fantasy world, but you're also saying, hey, you might not have heard about this, depending on where you're educated. I know Charles and I, uh, we went to high school together. That didn't come up. And it's, yeah, uh, yeah. How, how do you find that balance? Um, It is first and foremost a fantasy novel. It is absolutely... Um, a form of escapism by showing different perspectives and also a form of truth, like I, like I said, but it is most of all my truth. It's kind of my story. Mm-hmm. And that's n- none of the characters are me. Um, obviously it's not actually my story. I don't have blue blood, um, but there is, <laughs> there is just so much of um, my discovery of history and um, my own cultures that exists on the page. And I think, I didn't go seeking, I, 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 I did have a lot of research on history that I implemented within the novel, but more, more so I had research on the world itself. I have written basically another book on how the world works. Um, so that's where I kind of balance what is that, that line between representing and having a conversation with, and also actually just having a commercial, commercial fantasy. Um, it is still escapism to me it's just making you think in different ways so that um, absolutely. And Rebecca Kong's a huge, um, she's a huge inspiration. She's, um, she's a friend of mine. She's great. She, the, the way she just manages to have these conversations uh, so successfully and whilst being super commercial um, is, you know, mm. an absolute dream to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it is a, if I, I guess if I weighed up the, the research on history versus the research on the world um 
if I wanted it be, to be kind of less of escapism, I'd up the weight on the history side. Um, right. But I absolutely um, still wanted this to be, you know, there's rideable lizards, you know, come on, this is yeah. going to be fun at the same time. <laughs> sure. And I also, and there was also a lot of lightness in Scylla. Um, yes, she comes to the page as a drug addict, which was something that I spent such a long time developing to ensure that it was represented you know it's a made-up drug but um and I I still have reams and reams of papers of how that drug literally works um because I wanted to represent it but at the same time um she's a hot mess and she's hilarious (laughs) in being a hot mess and so there is there is lightness that I really try to find because the novel is about hope um Mm. as Mm. much as it is about pain and racism <laughs> right and it has like let's be it has some great action sequences political intrigue romance like it it's the, and to watch shyla experience all of those things is really what drives for me the like the immersion the entertainment all of that shyla is such a she's a funny character at times even though she's not telling jokes she, she's just yeah. so um she's so um she comes from this she comes from the bottom right she's got all these experiences like this school of hard knocks kind of attitude and then (laughs) she gets thrown into a totally different world it's like a fish out of water thing and to see her react to some of these things is it's funny at times and it's endearing at times and then when you add the complications of of drug addiction and then having the conversation around racism and classism and stuff like that it's it's it, it creates like a really, really fascinating conversation. And, and it's, it's engrossing. I told Dylan, I'm like, he's like, did you know this was 600 pages? Cause we yeah. read it on, uh, on Kindle. I was like 600, really? It felt like it we was not believe it. long at all. <laughs> like it, it, it read yeah. so fast. And I think that's a huge reason why. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm always <laughs> like, yeah, it's a doorstopper, but it reads fast. <laughs> yeah. I was, if you asked me to guess the page count, I would have been way off but yeah I I I just looked it up like not long before this because obviously we're reading on Kindle so I'm just uh, looking at the hardback I was 600 plus like 608 (laughs) pages or something like that and I was like that can't be right I was like I would have guessed probably 400 pages or so because it's just it's so readable it's fast paced and it's focused too which is something that Charles and I were talking about before that we really appreciated is uh, sometimes I mean we're big fans of things like uh, A Song of Ice and Fire which gets pretty sprawling and that kind of stuff but uh, lately I've been more and more appreciating when an author tells one clear story in their novel and uh, you you know you have multiple point of views and uh, there's different stuff going on for sure but there's focus and I absolutely love that and it you're able to tie together uh, your themes so well while you know after uh, what was five books now a song of ice and fire that are out Charles yes right? yes I think so yes okay. All right. After five books, I'm still not exactly <laughs> sure what George is saying. Over to our bookshelves, just right. like that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, but it's hard to sometimes figure out. Like, okay, what? This is very entertaining. This is interesting. And something like Song of Ice and Fire, but I'm like, what is this guy saying? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, yeah, yeah. Think, you do such um, a good job of delivering. Thank you, and I will say, yeah. editors are just a godsend. Like. 
I also didn't really understand what an editor did when I got my publishing deal. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> I've not ever said this before. Um, but I actually thought that editors literally went in and just changed the book. Like I thought you gave them the book, they bought it, and then you were like, ah, I'm done. They paid me. I'm done. Uh, no, all they do is ask questions. They're just like, why? But why? But why? But why? And it is so annoying, but so helpful because my book doubled in edits, um, which wow. was amazing. Uh, and that was all down to my two editors, uh, Natasha Barden and Trisha Nawani. Um, they they kept me focused. And I just it just made me think like, how they see the potential in a book when an editor buys is just amazing because they had to see what my end product and it was like it is so much better than it used to be that's great yeah I, I can see that and, and it kind of brings up a question for me you mentioned that you had a marketing background and I have a marketing background as well so one of the things just from my own curiosity that I want to ask you is why do you think from this publishing marketing perspective that that the final strife has was just picked up so quickly and 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 was has been grown so fast and now here you are only a few days away <laughs> from publishing it's been yeah. two years since you uh closed the deal so what what in your mind are are some of the shout lines for for the final strife so I will say that um there has been a just from a mark, you know, if I'm hitting, putting my marketing hat on and I was oh, yeah. like, okay, how would, why <laughs> has this novel first of all been picked up? Um, I think that there is a lot of uniqueness in it in that it does, it does subvert tropes, but I will also say there's nothing unique in this world anymore. Um, I guarantee that somewhere, somewhere that if you put like three or four books together, you probably get the final strike. There's nothing unique in this world anymore, which mm. is also fine um, because only, only I could have written this story, but um, yeah. you know, there, there's always going to be similarities to others. Um, and I think it was so obviously Black Lives Matter happened, um, protests happened two years ago, and that had mm -hmm. um <laughs> funnily enough, the stats haven't actually changed in publishing, but the people talked a lot about the stats um mm. and how many black um women uh and if you if you want to look at even smaller pool black british women who had been published by a major one of the five um, major uh publishers and that is is a really low stat i can't remember at tan but it was under i think it, i can't remember the exact i think it was like 1.3 percent. it was insane mm. um oh. it was really insane i might have got that wrong but i think it was something like that um and i remember checking up the stat two years later and as in recently, and it had stabilized, it hadn't actually changed. So Black Lives Matter, yeah. unfortunately, didn't change much within publishing. But what it did do is um, is give us a voice for um, a little while. And it potentially, you know, I, I don't know whether I would have got my deal. I, you know, it absolutely isn't the reason I got my deal, mm. but... Mm -hmm. I was able to, for example, a few people opened their DMs and said, um, you know, if you're a black aspiring writer, send me um, your manuscript and I'll give you some advice. And I took a few people up on that um, during that time. So I got um, some feedback that really helped me. Um, there were opportunities that I 
had never been able to have that I was then able to have in a very short space of time it was a bit of a fad it was a bit of a phase um but I also believe that my editors would have been a huge champion for me whether Black Lives Matter was happening at that time or not Mm -hmm. um we're talking like 11 days after um George Floyd's death so it was very soon after that I got my book deal and I know that they would have been championed for that but what they do have in my novel is um they have made my novel commercial by buying it by making it a a, a big publishing a big five book which mm-hmm. um is so rare for black women like me so I think they selected it because they could see huh, there are themes here that people are going to enjoy it also has a lot to say about the current climate and yeah. um I I you know I think we could we could make this big and I that is my marketing perspective of it um they're obviously you know I actually a lot of the industry isn't really to do with talent um I I do love my book but it is fundamentally it's about who picks it up and if they are specifically looking for a type of book and they happen to have a slot on their um roster for two years time which was an adult fantasy debut they knew they had a slot on their roster and they were particularly looking for something that was not European fantasy well hello I stepped in and I am so grateful for that because um publishers do need to diversify their list um you know we're talking about European fantasy dominating dominating um fantasy for the last you know 100 years yeah and I mean, it sounds like some of the opportunities you were afforded are probably things that people with majority identities are getting pretty much all the time. All the time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's uh, so you got you got your window where exactly. maybe the playing field was a little closer to even than it normally is. But it's uh, yeah, those numbers are are startling. Yeah, for they, sure, it, it was here. I, I think another um, stat that hasn't changed was that there are more children's books with talking animals than with black people <laughs> which I thought oh, was wow. wild <laughs> it was a wild stat and I actually at the time I um I was talking to NK Jemison, who I don't know as a friend I wish I did but um she was someone else who opened her dms and um I said mm. I'm an aspiring black author um you know I'm really worried about being the token black author mm. and she was like look publishing will not spend money on anything they can't sell um Mm. and she was like that's that's not a thing like you're you're never going to be a token because they are too published like they they, they're too profit driven it's not about making anyone a token like if they can't sell it they will not buy it Mm -hmm. um so that was I was like oh she's harsh but true <laughs> that, one of the greats, that does so. seem yeah, yeah. <laughs> that does seem like nk jemison's voice harsh but true <laughs> i mean we've never got the chance to interact with her but uh absolutely love her yeah. books and yeah. uh, you know I'd, I'd be far from the first person to praise the series that won three straight hugos but yeah it's uh <laughs> and definitely though oh a great person to be interacting with yeah, and yeah. I think someone who uh, like I mentioned earlier your your book reminds me of her work so it's cool to hear that you two got the chance to interact oh yeah it was just the one time we've never spoken again but still I treasure it it's like one of my best moments in my life <laughs> oh I know it's yeah, that's so awesome that she was 
able to be there for you and, yeah. and give you some of that advice that apparently seemed to have really helped you feel more confident in, in, yeah, in the success that you're experiencing, which I think is important. You know, it's like you have your moment and you should be able to enjoy it as much as you can. And yeah, and uh, that, that, that is awesome to hear. And I appreciate you sharing that marketing perspective. I, I'm along the same lines. I'm like this, you know, for me, the, I feel like there's just an increasing need for like non middle ages fantasy, like you were describing. And I remember cracking open this book in the very first scene, no spoilers guys, it's literally the first scene you have a performance. It's a griot who has a drum and he's like spoken words with the rhythm of the drums. And I was like, Oh, I, this is something new. This is something interesting for me. I'm, I'm in let's go. And that kind of persisted throughout the whole book. And Dylan and I were talking about that's like super interesting where when a new part of a series starts, you have that griot, that spoken word performer, like coming in to kind of set the stage and it, and it sets a mood too. And it speaks to this heritage that you're trying to build for these people. You just put us right away in the way that they share information because they may not have been educated on how to read and write and stuff like that, but they pass along and stories through the spoken word and that's managed to survive for a long time. So that to me was like right away. I'm like, Oh, I, I see the need for something like this and I'm pulled in right away. And, um, and I know that, you know, theater was a big background for you with the griots. And I was wondering if you could speak more to that and maybe what other kind of, um, little sprinkles of your personality you're able to bring into this culture and this world through your hobbies (laughs) yeah so um I I started off I trained in the theater as a director I was never an actor I was once told that I was so terrible at acting that I should just sit at the sidelines so this is at school um so yeah no I I was a teacher yeah that's oh great oh, yeah. that's yeah. rough sit on the yeah, sidelines I know I know that's... I was like I'll, I'll just read my fantasy book in the corner oh, um <sighs> so yeah I trained in theatre directing and script writing um always still wanting to be a writer but thinking how can I do this um that can make me money because it's really difficult to um sell a book as people know so um I kind of approached um my whole career is like I'll start with theatre and if that doesn't work I'll go into film and if that doesn't work I'll just keep writing and writing this book that I've got on the side um and so uh, so the the marketing that I was doing was actually film marketing um which was great because I then got to be on the production side of stuff which is great um but it was still not enough I still wanted to be a writer and so when I was approaching the final strife um as much like everything, every single part of me was influenced, uh, it influenced this book. So this kind of theatre background, script writing background. Um, but with the griots specifically, I had done, um, I actually decided to start a master's degree in African studies, um, which um, I don't, I don't know why, well, I do know why. <laughs> I do know why, because uh, it meant a lot to me to go back to school and study. I just forgot that you, when you study, you have to like write essays and stuff. It'd been yeah, that's, that's 12 years since I'd been to university. <laughs> so I knew nothing about, uh, I, I just forgotten it. Also everything was like online now. Like I remember handing in an essay mm. and we used to like just put it into like 
a little slot that the teacher would have in their office and you could just lie on the word count nowadays like they actually you have to put online and you can't lie about the word count. right they'll just click a button and they'll know exactly how many words and spaces there are I know, I know it's the worst but anyway wish you so had your editors I, then they could have doubled it for you i know it's true <laughs> um so so yeah so i i was doing um an ma in african studies and I've been doing a lot of research into oral storytelling and the power of oral, oral storytelling and the kind of the history behind it as well um, was really interesting to me and how that's kind of been lost in so many places. And I thought, you know what, this would be really amazing to have an oral story, but written on the page and how do I go about that so um they took like writing the griot stories were was like one of the longest processes of the book it took me hours to write each one like out like days because there is rhyme but there's also not rhyme it's mainly rhythm based and also I have to pretend that I can hear the drum beats um Mm. because there's drum beats transposed onto the page um I had to like take on the tone of the storyteller it was really quite difficult um that apps without a doubt the hardest bit of the whole novel was writing the griot stories because um they they were powerful and important but I also knew that I had to get them right um so yeah so that was uh definitely influenced by a lot but mainly kind of that oral history piece that I uh felt has been missing in so much culture that I've seen yeah well it was a very interesting and unique reading experience for us going through that and you use the asterisk kind of to mark yeah. the beat and yeah. Charles and I uh, were also big audiobook fans so we were yeah. wondering because uh, that won't be out until uh, Tuesday or Thursday yeah. uh, it's do you know I, I assume you do know uh, how are they going to get this across in that yeah. audiobook it's been so interesting so we have got a um separate griot who comes in to um a narrator who comes in to do those stories which um I, they they sound amazing like i'm just so excited about them mm-hmm. um and we talked about do we use natural drum or do we voice it through the words like mm-hmm. bang dura bang um and we decided to voice it because um it then captures some of the, which is weird, but it captures some of the written oral atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, which is what I was going for. So um, as much as I would love to have like had, you know, flown out to West Africa, hired a natural griot and, and done the whole thing as a performance, um, there was something quite magical about having this one performer perform the whole thing um, through voice and it, it sounds incredible. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You're making me want to drop an audible credit just to <laughs> listen to the story too. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. That, that's awesome. That's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, it's, the, the, the storytelling is just so honest and I, I love the, the griot scenes and, but, you know, Shyla for me, is something that I want to just kind of go back to and revisit for a moment. Uh, you knew you wanted to have a character that was struggling with a drug addiction, but I was wondering if you could speak more behind, like, what was the inspiration for Shyla and how you kind of crafted her to be this focal point of the whole story? But what was your inspiration for creating her? She's such a unique character. Oh, it's so interesting because um, 
there are some characters that come to me fully formed and some that I have to really, really work at. And with Sila, she absolutely just like exploded into my brain. And she was like, here I am. I am an utter mess. And I think I was fighting against a lot of um, uh, kind of the beauty norms of uh, kind of the the magical magical negro trope um there's this there's so many ways in which black women are represented that you know they're either you know the angry black black woman who just comes in and is just angry has no softness um the magical negro there's so many things that were kind of fighting in my mind that Sida just burst through them all and she was like I'm here I'm here and I'm a mess mm-hmm. and right. I was like <laughs> okay this is wild this is interesting and I'd say the hardest thing about Sila, although it was amazing that she came fully formed, the hardest thing about her was um, the drug addiction because that was really important to me to highlight it as a mental illness, mm-hmm. even though, and it's 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 wild because people are like, yeah, but it's a fantasy world. It's a made up drug. I'm like, yeah, I know. But every single scene, and I'm not even just talking chapter, every single scene that Sila's in, I have a spreadsheet where I've tracked exactly what symptom that she's feeling against wow. the drug addiction, because it was so important to me to make that as authentic as I can. Um, because, you know, at the first draft, absolutely. It was like, oh, she took some drugs. She's a mess. And it wasn't it wasn't done to the best of my ability. Um, and that's a first draft. It's OK. Um, but working and working hard at it, I just really wanted to make sure that she was coming across how she needed to um so you might not know how she's feeling in the exact moment I know and I know that's how she's reacting in that moment is because she has got this happening so even though I do I do refer to her withdrawal symptoms a lot but nowhere near as much as I have tracked on this excel sheet that Mm. I I have so um that was quite a struggle to kind of to just make sure that I had a handle on that because there are so many times that 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 representation could have got gone so badly wrong and I'm not saying that I've got everything right in the book but absolutely like that that's something that I worked hard at to make sure that I could do like I I could do it to the best of my ability to make sure that I knew exactly how she was feeling um so you were tracking like the stages of withdrawal withdrawal. that she was in and what kind of withdrawal symptoms she'd be facing and what's happening with her body chemically and stuff like that that's so fascinating yeah which is funny because it's like a made up drug. So then I was like, right. okay, now I have to make up this drug. And I was like, if anyone, anyone just looks at my computer, because I was in the library at the time, I was like, literally had just like opiates. I was like, heroin, like everything <laughs> open. I was like, okay, let's take this from here, this from here. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I always see on Twitter and stuff. I'm like, you better hope that uh, you writers aren't in a situation where your computers have to be searched because you'll be yeah, you'll all be in trouble. It's like, how long does it take for a body to decay? It's like, yeah. uh, mortis. <laughs> so, that's that's one yeah. that I've done a lot of. Inf- I, I know so much about that. <laughs> it's just <wild>. yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Rigor mortis. <sighs> and what also I like about her addiction is not just so much that you've tracked like what's happened to her, which is super fascinating, but also the relationships and how they become affected like for me like I personally I was able to identify with someone like Hassa who 
is Shyla's friend and watches her go through drug addiction from almost like the sideline. Just like I, I, this is my friend. I care for them, and I'm just watching them. Like they're mean to me sometimes. They're nice to me other times. They run into harm's way all the time. And to me, those relationships were so impactful. And just like I was wondering if your research kind of went into not only just the physical but the psychological uh, effects of being with someone or having someone in your life that is addicted to a drug absolutely yeah absolutely I spent a lot of time um, mapping out kind of um, how Hassa would feel in terms of like also almost being a carer where um, that's not necessarily shown on on the page as much you know you might hear a flyaway sentence where Hassa will say Oh, I tried to sell her watermelon seeds for about yeah. a year mm-hmm. and she <laughs> noticed straight away because um, the drug is a joba seed um, and she painted them red to try and pretend to Sila. Um, and also at the same time, there's this added layer of the, the you know, Hassa is red blooded. She is absolutely the top of the caste system, even though she is pretending she's not. And then Hassa is at the bottom and Hassa is also her drug dealer, but her yeah. friend. And that mm-hmm. is such a complex situation because Hassa has to trade in order to survive um and yet she's also her friend it's it was a real ball of of motions that I had to pick apart and really think through as I was developing both their relationships with each other and Hassa is just one of my favorite characters she's just the best so yeah it was really interesting to kind of like pick that apart with the two of them that's interesting. I know Dylan yeah. over here is uh, studying in clinical psychology. I was wondering, Dylan, we haven't gotten to really talk about the book yet. If you could kind of weigh in on Shyla's character and what, oh, what your yes. thoughts are from your semi-professional experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, I'll clarify. I'm a student getting my PhD in counseling psychology, so I don't get uh, like hit by saying <laughs> issues here. So um yeah, no, I, I thought it was incredible. I really liked the way that you portrayed, uh, I guess, substance use disorder. I think that it, even just the way in which uh, you have her carrying around that single seed and yeah. it's kind of it, it, like even she's not sure, like, is this a display of my own personal control over this and how I've succeeded in yeah. overcoming my addiction? Or is this me providing myself with the opportunity to just take it at any time? And those kind of that ambivalence and those conflicting thoughts uh, when trying to get through it is like uh, a really incredible depiction. And and I've never seen anything like that depicted in uh, all the fantasy that I've read. It's usually like they're either, uh, you know, completely off of it and, uh, they don't want to be on it or they're back on it but you have her straddling more of a realistic um middle ground I feel like in her addiction yeah I think I'm well I'm glad thank you for your professional opinion that makes me really happy um yeah I did I did work hard on trying to I think the seed in the pocket thing is was really powerful for me that was something like it was her choosing but also it's her tempting herself it's it's the that's the real the mental battleground that she's having each day and that's something that I tracked every single second of every scene I was like okay where is she on that battleground is she in her mind is she picking up the seed or is she putting it down and Mm -hmm. even when she's fondling it I'm like I'm tracking is she 
is she fondling it because she's going to eat it or because she's she doesn't want to so every moment I'm aware of what she's doing with that uh, seed in her pocket right wow and you it sounds like you really had such a great understanding of her as a character that's how I was actually you know getting her own uh, side effects tracked like I'm imagining that even times where you aren't mentioning it you might have like okay she's dealing with irritability right now yeah or something yeah. like that so it's just going to show up in the way that she behaves and maybe yeah. a keen reader can be like you know she seems a little bit grumpier today but yeah. It's uh, not necessarily something that she, when you're in her perspective, would realize. Because sometimes when yeah. you're dealing with irritability as a side effect, you don't know it yourself. Someone around you might be quicker to pick up on it than than you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's also like sometimes she'll say something absolutely devastating to someone. It's like, is she saying that because she's going through a physical symptom or is she saying it because she's really trying to be mean? And it happens for both reasons throughout the yeah. book. And I think the the difference on the scene is very apparent to the reader and it makes it that much more powerful. It's like, oh, she's just saying this because she's affected by withdrawal symptoms. Oh, she's really upset now. So it's like those yeah. two, that, yeah. that fine balance, I think is something that uh, takes a really uh, deft hand to make sure to navigate. And I thought you did it exceptionally well because it's true when you have someone in your life that you love that's addicted to drugs, it can happen both ways. It's they can just say something mean because their their body's just on fire or they'll say something yeah. mean because they're trying to get a drug or they'll say something mean because you did something that upset them and then why did, would you do that you know that was a bad thing to yeah. do so the fact that all of that's in there is really rich and I really appreciate that yeah my editor says um the she said this during I think edits two and three she said you need to imagine the research that you're doing on the, the novel is that the, the reader will see the iceberg they'll just see the tip mm. and everything else is underneath mm. and that's what you've developed and I'm telling you underneath <laughs> final strike <laughs> the iceberg is like bigger than the one that hit the Titanic I'm telling you it's so big <laughs> and it's also like well, why did I do this to myself there's so much <laughs> there's a whole uh, other I mean, world of final strife book out there spreadsheets well, yeah. of data yeah. that's what i'm saying we might get like a world of ice and fire style book one day of just the, the world building here oh and... god it's it's funny because they asked me to do a glossary and i've never never dug my heels in hard i was like i have a glossary i have like a non reader facing glossary because it is mm -hmm. my go-to because i have hundreds of characters i have terms that I've made up um and they were like yeah we want a glossary I was like oh god this is gonna be so hard to transpose into English yeah. um but I did it and it's it's in the back of the book it's 18 pages don't worry because George R. R. Martin's is 45 pages so <laughs> it's not that long <laughs> yeah I assume you didn't go into all the family trees and the no, <laughs> going I back could. generations and generations I I'm could sure but I didn't <laughs> <laughs> well that's something that we actually really appreciate about the book was the restraint that I, I mean we didn't realize how much world building you'd done in the background but we could tell that there was restraint in your writing and the fact that Charles Charles and I sometimes will talk about uh 
books will lose us a little bit if they start world building for world building sake, which mm -hmm. I mean, like if you can tell that someone just put in a ton of work into their world and they're like, well, I don't want to waste this. And then you start hearing all about it and you're like, does this have anything to do with the characters or the plot or yeah. anything? And <laughs> uh, I mean, it's part of what makes the 600 plus pages fly by, I think, is that uh, you gave us the tip of the iceberg because that's all we need needed to see to be able to like know about the characters and hear the story that you're telling and uh we yeah absolutely yeah it's it's really interesting because because that first edit that I was saying that first draft that was so short was because I'm actually really bad at description I love dialogue I'm like how do I jump to dialogue let's jump to dialogue um and my editors were like you can't just say that's a rideable lizard and not explain how that lizard works and I was like, oh, man. So um, a lot of that kind of description was teased out of me in edits and, and you know, the world building that I did then go on to do. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that you say that because I think info dumps can be really intimidating as a writer and a reader. Um, and it's it's just balancing that is, is really hard when, particularly when you're writing a world that's not European based, you can't, there aren't the hallmarks. And I use this example because I think it's really yeah. interesting. Like, like with, you say oh, they get on a horse in most um, medieval-based fantasy. You can't really say that in my world and not explain it. You can't be like, oh, they jumped on an eru. And it's like, okay, yeah. so it's a giant lizard. Okay, so how big is this lizard? Um, it's attached to a carriage. Okay, how does the carriage work with the tail? There's just like things that you don't want your reader to just be like, stop believing in. Mm. Um, and so because I was so committed into the world, in this new world that I've created, I wanted it to educate the reader, but not, there is definitely, I, I toe the line with how much information I, I drip feed, but um, yeah, and I'm sure I don't get it right all the time, but it's definitely something that I was aware of as I was editing and writing. Your your preference for dialogue uh, makes the griots make a whole lot more sense. <laughs> I can <laughs> yeah. tell the narrative through dialogue. Why not? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. And theater background as exactly, well, yeah. I would think. So, yeah. And we love that style of writing. I think... Uh, at one point I saw an interview with Joe Abercrombie who we're huge fans of where he'll literally just write scenes as all dialogue as a way of uh, just going through it at a first pass and then he'll be like okay well what's the weather like like what yeah, what is yeah. going on to give this a little bit of flavor and his background otherwise. is in yeah. like editing and for tv and stuff like visual medium stuff too so and psychology and psychology <laughs> disasters if you can believe it uh but wow so we're, we're, we're failure coming, was yeah, what failure human failure on. yeah i was like human wow okay. i believe that <laughs> the guy that wrote those books yeah wrote about human failure um so we're coming we're coming up on our time here i just wanted to make sure we said again the final strife june 23rd that is days away not weeks guys days it may even be out by the time this episode or 21st out. in the u.s or 20 right? oh, 21st in the u.s okay yeah. which is yes. where we are and that's literally you know it's the 18th now that's soon um so it's your your first big debut as an author we're we're super excited for you we've seen all the hype we 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 see all the makings of a really exciting, successful launch. We're so thrilled you're able to take the time to speak to us. But something that we wanted to know—I mean, this is a this is a big day. Do you have any plans to celebrate your big your big launch? Oh yeah, mm. yeah. Um, it involves alcohol. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it involves my closest friends. Um, 
yeah we've got um we have got a launch kind of party planned um on the Thursday in the UK which will be um really amazing and just it's like it's almost like a a wedding for my book it's so right. strange because it's like all the people <laughs> in my life that you would only ever see at a wedding or a funeral so I'm like oh, that's right. my wedding for my book um oh, and uh yeah which I can't I can't wait for and and then I'm doing some um book tour um kind of signings and stuff which will be fun so yeah that's yeah right. well enjoy it you deserve it i yeah you and your book get to live happily ever after once it's (laughs) (laughs) well well okay well speaking of happily ever after before we close this out i uh, wanted to ask so we won't say anything in specifics about the ending of your book but it does feel like while complete story is told there's some room for future stories to be told about these characters uh is there a sequel or anything like that in the works that we can start looking forward yes. to already? so um it's a trilogy uh the second book is it just went off yesterday for second round of edits and I will say uh, I'm not someone with a lot of confidence but I will say that it is bigger and better than the final strife. And I have my editor's word that it is. So, um, and it felt like amazing writing it. So I know when it feels good that it, it is a good book. Um, so um, I, again, I, I really don't say that about anything, but this feels good. So I'm really excited. I can't tell you the title yet soon, mm. but it uh, it will be out next year. So yeah, can't wait. Ooh. That next is year. really That's exciting. Good timing. Yeah. Oh yeah. But in the way before that, you have an awesome celebration coming up on Thursday. Yes, exactly. So we're very excited. <laughs> Definitely enjoy yourself then. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Of course, the pleasure's all ours. And guys, check out the final strife, a hardback, ebook, audio, whatever your preference. I mean, you, you gotta kind of see both, right? You gotta listen to the Griot performance, then you gotta right. see how it's written. So you know, multiple copies wouldn't hurt. Whisper sync. That's yeah, the Kindle sync. plus the audio. Yeah. I mean the cover is gorgeous too. So you just need you need that for the bookshelf. <laughs> so so three copies at least. Yeah. 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 And then you <laughs> Please. know it would make a great gift for your friends, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> but and then when uh, it comes on paperback, just get your fourth. So exactly yeah you gotta read you gotta reread next year for when the second book comes out you gotta make sure you're caught up so you know take the paper back to the beach or something so many so many things to do but uh we we really appreciate your time sarah this has been so much fun i have so many more questions about the book itself but we'll have to put those off until people have actually had the time to read the thing and then we can come back but um until then congratulations on the launch we're super excited yeah, it's just a huge success. Great debut. Can't wait for the, the public to have it. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Thank yeah. you so much for listening. And um, as always, go forth and conquer, friends. <laughs>